the single biggest killer of of men under 54 now is suicide. Wow. And actually, one of the biggest reasons is what you've just said, that men feel embarrassed to talk about it. You know, maybe if you spoke about it, maybe it'd about giving hope, because if you speak about it and someone else says, oh yeah, I've been through that too. Hi, and welcome to the North Edge podcast, Beyond the Capital. I'm Lucy Mills, partner responsible for value creation and ESG, and your host for this series. At North Edge, building better businesses isn't just about providing capital. It's about building open and honest relationships, creating responsible businesses, driving value through collaboration, engagement and partnership, and providing ongoing support. But we wouldn't be able to achieve any of that without the great people we have in our business, our portfolio and our network. And in this series, we'll be speaking to those people to find out more about their stories, their experiences, and how they have worked to build better businesses. Luke, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I was uh, doing a little re- reflecting because this is actually the last uh, episode in this season of Beyond the Capital. And bizarrely enough, we had started Beyond the Capital podcast talking about mental health and well-being. Uh, two years ago now and so it feels quite fitting that today in November it's just been International Men's Day yesterday as we're recording that we're finishing season one talking about the same topic that we started about so great to have you here I think that really demonstrates the importance that we place on mental health and well-being and the fact that we're committed to it from a long-term perspective but also because we see the link between mental health, mental wellness, mental resilience in the context of what we all do in high performance every single day. So I'm very excited to have you here today. I've got a long list of accolades, motivational speaker, health coach, author, former professional rugby player, co-founder of Andy's Man Club, an amazing charity that we're going to talk about later on in this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For people who haven't necessarily heard your story or how you've got to the place that you are today. Could you just give us a bit of potted history on why am I sat here talking talking to you the day after International Men's Day about this super important topic? Yeah, I think um, my background, I think, or what what most what the biggest accolade I've ever had is is just that what what I do is real. Um, I'm a bit of a real bloke who's been through his own 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 trials and tribulations like everyone and uh, I sort of use them now as lessons and uh, I love perspective I love storytelling in, in numerous ways as you'll know I'm a big wind up merchant <laughs> as we found out this morning um, and, and that's just what I love using humour and perspective and, and delivering powerful questions to people to make them really think about stuff and um, yeah as I say it's about attacking these sort of topics uh, in a real real and raw way probably get away with that, that more because we're northern uh, and people like that northern sort of Tell it how it is sort of approach. And I think when it comes to mental health, um, it's often very taboo. It's often very stigmatised. People don't often like to hit it head on. We sort of skirt around it and, you know, we're very cautious of it. It's, a lot of us still don't understand it. I've been dealing with this probably 25 years now, uh, since my mum had a, a car crash when I was eight years old. And um, that was mental illness. And I think there's a big difference between mental health and mental illness. Um, mm-hmm. And in this country, we, we sort of categorise it the same. And, and I've sort of been, Campaigning to sort of show the difference that with mental health and mindset, mental fitness, mental resilience, that's very different to the illness side. And if a lot of us could get a grasp of the, the fitness and health side, can hopefully prevent some of those illnesses from occurring and clear up some of those uh, busy busy services that we're finding across nationwide. So, and, and as we're here to talk about today, if you get right, if you get it right, what's going on between your ears, you can deal with you know, mm. stressful situations, you can deal with uh, the trials and tribulations of running a business and life, yeah. you know, it, it, it's only long-term going to be beneficial. So, yeah, the, the short version is real bloke who, who likes to talk real and raw. And so, I guess before we get on to the events that happened in the lead-up to you kind of founding Andy's, Andy's Man Club... Because yep. I know that there were, it wasn't just one event. There was actually you know, a series starting off with that one that you've just talked about there. Just in the context of your life as a professional rugby player, because I think you know there are lots of similarities that we can draw from professional sport to high 
performance in the context of the business world, running your own business, being in a senior role in a business, uh, you know, being in the industry that we're in. When you look back, knowing what you know now, were you doing things around mental resilience, mental fitness? Because I assume you're doing lots around physical fitness and readiness for the games that you were playing. And if not, what what would you say is the most, what would you say the most important things are for people in that context of high performance, but being able to do it in a really sustainable way, just reflecting on that period of your life, what, when you look back, what, what do you recognise or what do you wish you'd seen? Well, I think that's a, a brilliant question. One I've never really been asked, actually, so um, got me reflecting there. Because I guess when I think about what 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 happened at rugby, so at rugby, you know, you, you have different methods to work on different things. So you have skills, you have uh, lower body fit, lower body strength, upper body strength. You've got te- different techniques with, within the game. So we're all very physical. Uh, the only side that we probably would have ever worked on in rugby was mental toughness. You know, mm. you run into each other as hard as you can. You sort of pretend you're okay. You know, you work on constantly, like not showing people any weakness, not showing on uh, any struggles, which, which in an element, and I think we're trying so hard to break those stigmas now, but there's an element of that that, that we still need in the workplace, the, the resilience to better get knocked down, you know, you have a bad day, you know, as a business, you group together, you go again, like like losing a rugby game. Um, Where we probably lacked in rugby, and I I look back at the first professional team I signed at as Salford, as a 17-year-old young man joining their their business, you could say. Um, Very very poor, really, in terms of of mental health and and identifying it. It was sort of seen as, you know, people doing drugs on on a weekly basis and and drinking all the time as if if it were quite funny, as if it were Mm -hmm. fun. Um, and I look back now and think that, because I know how some of those players are within the senior leaders have ended up. You know, some have gone to prison, some have had severe mental illnesses, and I mean severe mental uh, ill health. Um, so it just shows that, like, if someone would have identified that early on, which is where a lot better now. But then when I went to Leeds, obviously the professionalism of, of an organisation, a high performance organisation, the world champions, it were very different. They weren't necessarily those sort of coping mechanisms. The people, if someone had an issue like that, people would have sort of put their arm around them and checked in a little bit more. So they were a lot more like checking in. As you can see with the likes of Kevin Sinfield now and what he's doing with Rob, like he would be one who would put his arm around you and be like, you know, as the leader and be like, everything all right. Um, yeah. So I think, I think, you know, we've still got a long way to go to sort of um, get the balance right so that we're not too much always arm around. We're actually mm. it's finding the balance as leaders and as organisations to say, who needs an arm at this point? Who needs, oh, at what point as an organisation do we need to say when it's still built as mental toughness and resilience to better handle the challenges? Because every one of us is going to go through problems. We're all going to have bereavements at some time. We're all going to have issues at some time. And the harsh reality is, is, is that, that, that businesses have still got to operate. You know, and this is me who does this for, for a living. I understand should, should, should something happen in my life, the organisation of Andy's Man Club still got to go on. The organisation of my business still got to go on. You know, my kids have still got to get to school. Like life's mm. still going to go on. So he's finding that balance of when to accelerate. I went to just put the car in, in a um, not reverse, neutral like, maybe. In neutral and just have a moment. <laughs> make sure you get your handbrake on. Pull in at that service station, shall we say, and just take that moment so that we can gather what we need at that service station and better move forward. So rugby is a great example of the detriments of not having a good supportive environment and doing the right things versus being in an environment where everyone is on the same page, all doing the right things for that common mission. And so what would you say some of those things are? And I'm going to ask you that question in the context of two different perspectives. Firstly, how do we... Or what are the tools that you've developed that allow you to do that yourself as an individual, look after your mental wellness, mental resilience? But then also in the context of employers, which I think can be quite, quite difficult, how, how, what environments, what things should we be doing as business leaders to create those environments that allow people to look after themselves in that context that means that, to your point, whenever at the point that it becomes mental illness so that is that is much much rarer because everybody actually can recognize check in there's a there's a kind of ecosystem of people and things in place that allows people to do that themselves 
we'll attack the first one first. And I think the biggest one to look after itself, which is the most underutilised of everything, right? And everyone thinks it's things like talking, it's meditation, it's breathing, it's exercise. We're actually the number one thing that the majority, and I work with a lot of people every year. I mean, a lot of mm. people. And if I ask this question in a seminar, it's you know, it's always the same. Put your hand up if you struggle with sleep. And mm. majority of people put their hand up, right? So if I would say to you now, how can you possibly be high-performing if you don't have the energy when you wake up in the morning, right? If you're constantly burning the candle at both ends, you naturally, it's like using the car analogy it's just like constantly going around at full revs like mm. and expecting that your car's not going to run out of fuel right so food's important hydration's important getting your mindset right but sleep you know not even just uh, in terms of energy but in terms of like hormonal in terms of chemical imbalances like if you can start to develop a good sleep pattern and the funny thing that i always find with most people is, is so all motivational speakers, all mindset coaches, everyone talks about a morning routine, right? Get up, mm. ice bath, drink loads of water, everything, right? It's all like that, right? Which is great. But no one talks about the importance of, of, a, of a good evening routine where most of us are very disciplined in the morning, intentionally or intentionally, unintentionally or intentionally. You will get up at probably the same time, Monday to Friday, every day, and it might not even be something that you do intentionally. It might just be you get up at six, your bowel movements are exactly the same on those days. You go for a one or a two, you splash some water on your face, you do your makeup, whatever. And you probably eat the same breakfast most days, have the same coffee, drive the same way to work, more about the same traffic. It's just it's just very mundane Monday to Friday. Comes to an evening, we're a little bit more open and flexible to, well, I don't matter, I'll just watch that Netflix program and I'll use that series on. And I'm not saying about being boring, but what I'm saying is, is that if we're going to have that same level of discipline in the morning, it's paramount paramount that we get sleep right like i'm mm. so nerdy with the sleep element and i've been the person who's trying to grow an organization or we're doing never mind 5am club i'm gonna put like 4 4 30 yeah, making sure we've got my exercising and i had the actual ob- uh, opposite effect i'm quite tired a lot i put on a lot of weight because people think that just weight is all down to like what you eat we're actually like hormonally if your body's in a state of stress because it's got no sleep it's gonna start it's gonna start fat I was just literally running on fumes for two years, thinking I was killing it because I was like here, there, and everywhere, and everyone was loving what we're doing. But in reality, like I'm just burning out. And mm. you know, sometimes until you take that rest, you don't realize you're burning out. And what I start to realize is now, especially since COVID, is like the importance of getting that sleep, making sure, and developing a good evening routine to get yourself out. Whether that's like make sure you get your, your good levels of magnesium in, a bit of heat exposure before bed, it's shower or bath, sleeping in a cold room. This will be a bit of a shock to people, but sleeping naked is a great one for, for people. And that's not in any rude context. Like sleeping as minimal clothes as possible in a dark and as cold room as possible. Like these type of things and try to get that seven to nine hours, not this grind mode and live four to six hours because eventually it's going to catch you up. And mm. you might work now in your business to drive yourself forward for the first one, two, three years, but that's no good if you're in a grave in five or 10 years. So get them bare basics right. So for me, there's a variety of stuff that can go into, and I'm sure we will have other ways to look after yourself. But once you get your sleep right, usually then you will want to exercise next day. You are less stressed. Mm. So when the kids are causing a bit of carnage, amongst people at work causing carnage, or you're having a bit of a issues with your finances or your partner or whatever it may be, you're able to deal with those situations that a little bit better. Mm. Is that, does that make sense for number one? Yeah. So sleep is 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 paramount. Number two, as organisation, um, this is uh, a more interesting one for me. Because it's often a question I get asked, but but I'm a little bit more, um, and I don't want to sort of skirt around question, but I'm more, what can employees do for themselves? And the reason why I say that is, is mm-hmm. I've been in I've been in work with companies who have fun, say phenomenal, what we'd call phenomenal systems in place for their staff, uh, mm-hmm. people who were miles ahead at game. But then what ended up happening was is it got to a point that they'd built such a good mental health culture that when the staff wasn't performing, they felt scared to be tell them that they were struggling, that they were not performing well because they were scared yeah. of it being such an open policy. Well, now I'm, I'm sick. So I think it's about, um, and this is plugging the work I do, but when I go into a company, you know, um, you know, and I'm going to one of your portfolios very soon, uh, it won't yeah. be, okay, what can work do for you? Because work is just there nine to five. You've got to do your job. Mine is, is what can you do five to nine? What can you do on a Saturday and Sunday? And it's about people getting the bare basics right for themselves because work can only do so much. And and a lot of people that, that I speak to and I know do work, it's always putting on the employer. And, and that's not me trying to win points here with 
the employers with you guys. It's not, I talk about it on a day-to-day basis. I genuinely believe that like people are going to come and go from your business all the time. So if you have a great environment and they go to a shit environment next, or they come from a shit environment to your good environment, you're going to keep changing environments anyway. But if they can get go- right what's going on in their own lives, mm. their own minds, they'll just fit in, fit in uh, your world. But the one thing that does have an effect on people is naturally is culture, right? Um, mm. And uh, honesty culture, but you've got to get everyone to buy into an honesty culture. If I was to go yeah. today and say to my missus, oh, you look like you've put a bit of weight on, right? That's true honesty, but everyone's going to be shocked. Right? Oh, that's, you can't say that to her. And I'm not saying I'm going to, but that's true honesty, right? So if you want to have true, so true honesty is me saying to one of my staff, don't think you're performing um, to the best of your ability at the minute. Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Right? People don't do that because they don't really have an honesty. So we also want honesty, but most people don't. So it's finding out within your organisation what culture you really want to drive, but whether you're going to really adopt those values. So at the organisation, which we'll talk about later, uh, we now have 24 staff and 1,000 regular volunteers. It's trying to make that culture so embedded that people do feel comfortable enough and you don't always get it right. It's a bit of say, I'm struggling, but mm. knowing that it's never going to get held against them. Mm. that's a big thing within with companies that I work with that staff say yeah but if I admit I've got a problem I know there's a manager's position coming up I know there's a senior leader role coming up I know that I don't know portfolio might be taking on a new company and I want that CEO's job I want to be shooting over like if they know I'm struggling are they going to let me go over where actually yeah. it's having that openness of a culture bit say as I said earlier no no we've got you back we'll give you all the resources possible but again you could offer 1,000 resources to everyone in your in your portfolio. If they don't use them, then who's that a reflection of? That's not mm. a reflection of, of the person offering the resources, is it? And as we'll talk about in this man called Blair, you know, we both know people personally have used that group. Yeah. You could tell you could tell people all the time, here's a group, there it is, it can work for you. If they never go to that group, or if they go once and say it won't for me, like that that's more on them as opposed to you, because you, you're trying your best. And I think yeah. sometimes. So organizations offer employee assist programs they offer counseling services they offer massages on a wednesday they offer all this stuff but if people don't utilize them it's of no benefit anyway so mm. as i say it's it's employee first uh getting them to shift their mindset that it's on them to look after mm. their own well-being i hope that doesn't yeah. sound like i've skirted the question no no i think i think that is absolutely right because you you know it has to be an individual that takes that responsibility I guess the bit though to your point is the environment has to then be right that if they do take that responsibility then they don't feel that that's going to then have a negative impact because that then breeds that that kind of negative environment where people don't want to take personal responsibility because the culture and the environment isn't right so I think it is on an individual to take action but I think you know, interested to see, and maybe we come on to this slightly later, but interested on what are the environments and cultures that you have seen work really well to allow people to thrive and take personal responsibility in this context? Because I think that's the bit that we all as business leaders have to be acutely aware of. I I think um, running a business is like being a good parent. Um, and let me explain what I mean by that, right? So, um, great example from this weekend. Um, my son has been here, there, and everywhere. He's been uh, like he's been with his grandma. I watched football. Very flexible weekend, like sort of just running his own weekend. He's going fourteen. I'm off there on Friday, and then and then on Saturday, and he's sort of his own. So when he's come back to um, some standards on Sunday, um, it's a big shock for him. And I, and, mm-hmm. and I notice this all the time. So then it's just like I need you to do this. Whoa, whoa, and I'm like whoa. It's because you've had one in weekends where you think you can do what you want. Let's get it back in. Let's rein it straight back in. And and it makes me think about being a parent and what your kids respect and adopt versus when you have a business, right? So I've tried organization where we do the real flexible, like everyone's flexible. Let's all have them feel good. I know what like a Google style, like where everyone just do what they want and everyone just feel good. And I realize that actually people respect boundaries and standards more than they respect flexibility because actually, mm-hmm. like, because everyone will use that flexibility in different ways and i hope this makes sense so with kids i feel like if they know there's certain things that's acceptable and not but there's flexibility in that to express themselves in their way but there's certain things as a parent i'm like we don't do that in our house that's not 
Because your friend does it, that's fine. Just because that business down the road does it, that's good. If you really, you know, if you, you want to go live with, with their parents and tell you like that for a little bit, or you want to join that business because they like they do better grass than you to go. But here we have this is this is our standards, and and I do often think that the companies who and why reason why I say about a parent is because parenting is unconditional love, mm. so it's unconditional. So it's not uh, con- well. I love my kid if they do this. And I feel like if you can create an unconditional love at your organisation that, well, we're all going for the same mission, whether that is, and there's nothing wrong. You know, we often get like, it's like a dirty thing to say, like, we're all trying to grow businesses for profits or whatever, but it's the harsh reality of life, right? So you're doing with business, yeah. you're, growing it, you're growing it to make money. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with your employees coming to work to have money to go up. But if everyone in that business is all fighting for the same thing, which is to improve their own lives, right? And you've got that unconditional love for each one of them. And you've got the, the respect and, and respect, I think, you know, if we're getting into a, a deeper thing, respect is like a two-way thing. So it's respecting what a person might be going through, what you might be going through, but then also respect of a job still needs doing here, regardless. You know, just mm-hmm. like kids, and, and I'm using parent as an example, it might not relate to people who are parents, but I just think by having that set boundaries and set standards in place, um, I still love my kids to the moon, whether they, they follow them or not but I'll still try and steer them and be the best role model possible for them. So I think as leaders, you know, if you're going to be someone who's having a bit of a wobble at the minute and you're, on, you're just pretending it's all okay, uh, but you're taking it out on everyone in a snappy way, and then you're going to wonder why that everyone in your else organi- everyone else in your organisation never talks about that. Maybe you've got to look at yourself first to say mm-hmm. what, sort of a, what sort of culture you're trying to create because people follow people. Yeah. Yeah. They don't listen to what you say. They watch what you do. And that's mm-hmm. that's why I say about parenting, because I can tell my kids, Lord, don't do this. Do this. Well, wait a minute, Dad, you do that. Mm-hmm. So so actually, no, no, I'll try and eat the best I can in front of them. You know, be drinking water. Show them. And if you follow me on social media, you see that my kids come and do 5K and 10K runs with me. Like they'll come and do events. And because I want them to see that feeling so that they want to make them choices themselves without it being, I'm doing it just to impress Dad. So mm-hmm. back to your, back to what we're saying here is, is if, the organisation can set standards and lead as a senior leadership team um, or as a portfolio from, from you guys. And if you can be setting these standards and these boundaries, people then have got something to follow to and, and aspire to, really. Mm. So very classic to, uh, you know, walk the walk rather than just talk the talk from a leadership perspective. I think so. I think so. Obviously, yeah. um, as you know, started the campaign it's okay to talk so I believe talking is important but I also believe talking just just the first step talking yourself to relieve pressure you know mm. um what else, what we do away from the talking is what puts the good shit back in yeah so let's let's assume that in that context we've got we've got a culture and an organization that allows you to take responsibility for this sleep is the first thing what would you say that other really important tools are for people listening to this in the context of mental fitness mental wellness mental resilience what should we all be doing more of and I think it's actually quite important to think about this in the context of you know we're going to go into the festive season then January and February can be quite difficult for people so actually what are the things that we should all be really really focusing on to get get ourselves with some good habits going into the new year Five five pillars for me. Five sleeps number one. Next is is exercise, and I want to make sure that I don't turn everyone off with this and think they've all got to be bodybuilders. But just moving, you know, we're sat here now on this call. I imagine I know you're shooting somewhere after, but a lot of us sit down a lot. Mm. So you know, and, and that's not good chemically wise. But so I think getting up and moving, even if you go for a walk on your dinner break or after work. Obviously, if you can develop gym routines, running routine, it's, it's better. But just getting up and moving. So moving's a big one. The foods that we eat, I'd say, if I just said going to a festive period, we're just going to be boxes of celebrations everywhere. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat, eat in moderation, but but it's got to be moderation. And I think the more whole mm. foods we can eat, the better it is for his mental health. And this type of things aren't the things that people are talking enough about. Uh, there's there's some, some movement starting to happen now, which is showing the scientific benefits of eating an all-food diet. Hydration. Mm. You know, I imagine first thing that probably me and you both did this morning, we'll, we'll, we'll whack a coffee in um, and then we sort of ride that wave up, don't we, all day? And then some people will have something else to drink at night to try to get them back down. Um, so making sure you're as hydrated as you possibly can be. And the fifth one, which is so important, is you time, right? And under mm-hmm. you time, this is, you time isn't a one-size-fits-all. You time is 
getting outside in nature, looking after your hygiene, spending time with people that you genuinely give a shit about or you feel good being around, whether that's in work or out of work. You know, if it's people in work, you know, saying to someone, you fancy going for dinner today together and having that little bit of time with them where you have a, a, a belly laugh or you just talk to them and stuff and it doesn't even always have to be eat dark, meaningful stuff. It can just be like have a, a bit of a laugh and feel good. So because when you're feeling good, it gives you hope, doesn't it? And what is hope? Hope is that tomorrow could be better than today. And we all thrive in life when we've got hope and we've got things to look forward to. So within you time, plan stuff in your diary that you're going to look forward to. So whether mm-hmm. it be next Saturday, I'm going to go out, I'm going to put a message in a group, what I mean, I don't fancy a high on Saturday. I don't fancy going to a pub for a beer on Saturday. I don't fancy going and watching some football on Saturday. Whatever it is, that you like doing, you know, going out for a coffee, you know, whatever, but set some time in your diary each month, if you can each week, but I know we're speaking to some busy people here, but at least yeah. each month to give yourself something to look forward to, you time, and within that, there's some smaller things, putting on your feel-good playlist, some stuff that make you laugh, listening to a comedy podcast that's just going to make your belly laugh, just constantly um, giving yourself you time, escapism, away from the day-to-day grind of my emails, my work, my life, just if we get to the root cause, root bottom of this, this little point I'm trying to get across is everyone got a job at some point. Everyone started a business at some point because they probably wanted to move out of home, right? And they wanted some money. Yeah. But before we even moved out of home, we just wanted some money so we didn't have to keep asking mum and dad or whoever we live with, can I have a tenner for a week? And we will ask for a tenner in the morning because you can't buy out for a tenner. But we can I have 20 quid? Can I have 30 quid? I want to go out. And then you think to yourself, I want my own freedom. So what we do is, is we start a job or we get a job, we start a business so we can have a bit more money to do what we want. So we're doing it because we want to have more fun, more freedom. Then what mm-hmm. we do is, is we think, well, we don't want to live on a mum and dad's roof. now. proper freedom. So we lock ourselves into an house because we think it's more freedom. But actually, then bills come every single month, which then locks us in a little bit more. Then we start to wish we'd actually stayed at home. But we won't go into that today, right? Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, you're working every month to pay these bills. And then you suddenly get a little bit boring along the way and stop doing the shit that you originally started off for, which is to have, ultimately, life is very short. Life is yeah. very short. You're going to blink and it's going to be over. And I think the biggest perspective I often think is, is that it is going to be over before we know it. So, like, with you know, grow your business, grow your life, have an impact, leave a legacy, enjoy it along the way. Like I say, whether that's having meetings with people you like at work, whether it's setting stuff up for outside of work on an evening, whether it's going and playing five-a-side or going to a ballet class or go do something crazy, I don't know, go join some tap dance class. I might not be crazy. You might do that, we'll say, imagine. <laughs> It's a posh school, and it's probably a normal thing at your school. But <laughs> doing stuff that you enjoy, and I think life's too short to not do shit you enjoy. And I often, that's my biggest thing. If I don't say what does Luke do, I always put stuff in my diary that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it is a breakfast with me, it's a coffee, uh, going for a hike, going stopping at camper van one night, taking dog out, just just do stuff where I can sit back in the week and go, yeah, do you know what? No matter how hard life gets, or no matter how tough business gets, or whatever got things to be joyful about. Yeah, yeah. And things to look forward to, right? I think that's... And things to look to forward to. Hope. Hope, isn't it? Hope, oh, 100%. Okay, so if those are the tools, how do we how do we find that right balance of how we fit all of that in with work, high performance, all of the other bits? What what would you say is... How, how do you do that? How have you prioritised... So, so brilliantly, right, and this is a, a common thing, and, and I run a, a separate group away from management called uh, Mind Tribe, right, and it's about getting back to tribal ways and just really regrouping, right, and and, and some people buy into the process thriving. I call it thriving. I think with mental health, you've either got surviving or coping, and they're the two things that everyone talks about, but no one talks yeah. about thriving, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the problem we've got is, is that, that everyone, especially probably more in the high-performance world, always need a plan. They need a big plan. They need a detail. They need a, they need a small chunk. It. So it's like, what are we doing? Right? How do we do it? How do I fit that in? Right? Which is great. But developing, so you're going to go to bed anyway. So let's just go, let's keep it really simple. You're going to go to bed anyway. So if you're going to set a little bit of a routine before you go to bed, which might be that you don't sit on your phone for as long before bed. And even if you do, I'm not saying you shouldn't. Maybe just put it on, on dark mode, right? So it's not yeah. affecting you. Buy a little screen. But if you can, just have a hot shower before you go to bed. Get some magnesium from your local Northern Barracks. Have it an hour before you go to sleep. Don't eat two to three hours before you go to bed so his body's resting, not digesting, right? Really simple stuff, right? They're not necessarily taking you any time because you're already sat at your house anyway, right? So you try and not eat uh, two to three hours before bed. You have a little bit of magnesium before you go to bed and then maybe try a bit of eat exposure. So that's taking you no more time. 
The next morning you wake up, you drink some water upon waking. How do you do that? You put your glass of water next to your bed before you go to sleep. Drink 500 milliliters of water upon waking. You're already hydrated now. And put a little bit of Himalayan sea salt in that, even better, right? But put a bit of what in? Pink Himalayan sea salt. Nice. Yep, game changer. What does that do? Uh, well, that's just got all your, uh, your vital minerals. So it's got sodium, chloride, magnesium, uh, potassium in, in, in that. And it's obviously natural rather than getting a, a supplement. So a little mm-hmm. bit of um, Himalayan sea salt in there. Bang that in you. You're already hydrated. First thing you've done, you haven't took coffee straight on. Then, so, so far, we've still not affected your day in any way. Mm-hmm. On your dinner break or at end of day or in the morning, bottom what? If you can fit a gym session in, as I said, fit in. But I'm also conscious that some people might work crazy hours here. So maybe... What are your meetings that you've got online? Send a set up person. Are you right if we just do it as a normal call and go out for a walk while you take that call? Mm. Yeah, do it, do it while you're walking. Uh, go out for a jogging morning. Like I'm not the sort of person who thinks you should sacrifice sleep. Think so. I'm not going to say get up at five a.m. so you can fit this in. Fit it in amongst your day. Uh, diet. You're going to eat anyway. Just make better choices. Um, mm-hmm. You time. Um, as I said, look at your diary. Okay, you know what? I'm working seven days a week at the minute. I've got no one for three weeks. Okay, three weeks time. Let's put some in. All in three weeks that you're going back to back with clients, you all think you've got something to look forward to. So time wise, there's not a big thing. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate it and then put ourselves off because you know, if we're gonna to go to a gym, it's like, oh god, I need a fitness plan. Oh god, that fitness plan's gonna to be too much. I can't actually I'm not gonna start. Rather than going, No, actually, uh, I'm just gonna to go to a gym, I'm gonna go on bike for 20 minutes. Yeah. That 20 minutes uh, compounded four times a week is better than the 20 minutes that you're not doing. Do you understand what we're saying here? We're just trying yeah. to get back tribal and simplify this so that you're, ultimately, if you do this stuff, you will start to thrive. You will have more energy levels on a day-to-day basis. So that when you do go to work, you are having meetings, stuff don't go your way, you're able to handle it better and then thrive in the situations that are positive and handle any sort of crisis that comes. And that would be my biggest benefit, I'd say, if you were to ask me what I'm actually good at. Someone knocks on my door right now and says, oh, my God, world's ending. I can just go, right, let's deal with it. Yeah, because I'm not in a state of stress, state of panic, a state of worry already. I just think I'm already mm-hmm. dealing with that on a day-to-day basis and handling it. So chemically and hormonally, I'm able to go right. What we got to deal with here? What are our solutions? As you know, my talk, my name, of my talk is what's next. What can yeah. we do about the situation that's facing us here? Yeah, very important rules to live by. Not all of them, which I live by. So maybe it's uh, a good moment for a pause and reflection for me as well, recording this. Um, so we've talked a lot about simple things yep. that help high performance. The importance, I think, of that culture of unconditional respect, love, all of that good stuff in the context of business leadership. I think that's a really poignant way to put it, actually, and, and lead it by example. So all of that is, is around mental resilience, fitness, wellness, which the majority of us needs to be doing every day, every week, every month. And if we're not doing it, we should start quickly. We also know that actually there's lots of people suffering with mental illness or they're not thriving and they're maybe not even surviving. They're just teetering on the edge of of coping. Um, We also know there's some terrifying stats around particularly men's mental health, which we'll highlight given we're recording this in in November, which is all around International Men's Day. The latest stats I'd looked at was one in three men have experienced suicidal thoughts. Men are four times more likely than a woman to commit suicide. 40% have never spoken to anybody about their mental health. And of those, 50% are too embarrassed to speak about it because they think there's a negative stigma. So quite sobering fact and really highlight the importance of all of that stuff that we've just spoken about in terms of what you can do from a mental wellness perspective yeah but kind of talk to us about Andy's Man Club how that came about what you do and actually where people can turn to if they do need a bit of help you know listening to this podcast maybe if people think actually I do want to go and talk to somebody or I do need a bit of help and I am struggling Talk to us about, yeah. about that part of your world. Yeah, and let me just emphasise really quick. Um, when I talk about doing those those things, I don't think they're easy for people to develop, right? No. I think that, but I also don't think it's easy to live in constant fear, worry, anxiety, depression. That's not easy either. So 
everything that I spoke about to you there takes effort, right? And it's going to take effort that people are going to have to fight harder than ever. If they're in a really dark place, I'm talking about here, than ever before. But the place that you're in right now, usually, unless it's been from a, an immediate trauma perspective, right? You know, unless something really drastic has happened, you've had a bereavement, you've had a real bad accident, you've had a horrendous bit of news. Most people, if they were to look back at their life, and everyone I work with one-on-one, usually it's a series, as we've just said, oh, when I reflect, actually, I don't do most of those things, right? Mm. But imagine not doing those things for five years, ten years, none of them, right? You have a shit night's sleep every night. You're not really eating well because you're always on go. You don't really exercise because you're too busy with work. Hydration, you know, I haven't got time to fill a bottle of water up. Right, you know, I'm drinking coffee because that's what we do. You know, it becomes culturally just that's what we do. And you know, I've got for drink after work because that's what we do. You time, I don't have time for me time. Me time's work right now. That's why I'm on career driven. Right, before you know it, when a little bit of a tragedy comes, it absolutely knocks you off your feet. And if I were to sit down and say, and I just want to emphasize this, what does a good night's sleep give you? Go on to that. Energy. Energy. What is what does food give you? What's it designed to give you? energy because calories that's all calories are calories are energy that's what we call them right being hydrated having hydrated cells gives us energy right exercise takes energy to do but then leaves us feeling energized spending time with people you genuinely give a shit about leaves you feeling energized doing shit you really love to do leaves you feeling energized right so when we have so now look at it as instead of calling it mindset mental well-being call it our energy levels right if you have a spectrum now of surviving to thriving and you're not looking at it as where your mindset's at, you're looking at where your energy levels are at, when life hits you in any capacity, you're in a position to be able to deal with that far better. Are you with me? And I'm not saying this is a place of naivety. When my brother-in-law took his life, right, this wasn't just a, oh, yeah, let's start, start a little man club. I was in a position where I was practising everything I'm preaching now because there was a point where I wasn't practising it. I was going out drinking. I was not re- uh, neglecting my body. I was neglecting my diet. And I was probably four stone heavier than I should have been. I were an absolute mess. I were in proper victim mode. My life were absolutely rock bottom. Mrs. had left me because I were uh, not a nice person to be on. Because as a man, usually it's easier. Or even females. Let's not just make it one sexy because we all do it. Um, we push people away because we find it's protecting them by pushing away and letting them into our trauma or our issues, right? Mm. So by pushing everyone away, I thought that was the best thing to do. By pretending everything wasn't okay. Then when I realised, when I ate my own little rock bomb, and I'm giving context here, when I ate my own little rock bomb, I had to stop asking the question, why me? Right? Mm. And Because why me is a very shit question. Shit questions give us shit answers, which makes us feel shit. That's a feedback loop. Shit questions just before you go to bed may, you, may help you... Uh, add to the fact you have a bad night's sleep, which then you already know where we're going now with energy. So I'm in a really low energy space. I'm in a really low mental health space. And I literally sat there one day in a police cell and I said to myself, if you want to ask better, if you want to get better answers, look, you need to ask better questions. I came up with a question, what's next? And what's next, man? Okay, from now on, no matter what happens, Someone smashes into your car, if someone burgles your house, if your business gets took off you, if life goes, if your missus leaves you, if something bad happens, Always, first question is, is what am I going to do about it? Mm. Straight to solution focus. It's not unempathetic. It's not unsympathetic to what you're going through. It's just, what can I do about it right now? Right? Because we can sit and go, oh, my God, this is happening. It's terrible. Which, yes, have moments of that. Have moments of reflection on what you're going through. Don't uh, try and just uh, pretend it's not happening. But if you can grip to what can I do about it, which sometimes there's nothing you can do about it which by admitting there's nothing I can do about this right now. My mum having cancer, um, my missus um, leaving me, uh, you know, I'm not um, performing. Okay, what what can I do about it though? Okay, mm-hmm. what I can start doing is, is a list of the five things. So when Andy took his life, so, you know, to set the scene for everyone, um, I'd gone through all these, a little bit of a bad, bad part, got myself into the best mental position I've ever been in. I had like what I'd call a bulletproof mentality at that point because I just would like no negativity in it all. People speaking shit about someone and say, oh, no, I'm, you don't even need to say that in front of me. If you don't have opinions of people, you talk about them in another time. Literally, there was no negativity in my world. Mm-hmm. When Andy took his life, it was like the polar opposite to where my mind was at that point. So the what's next question, you know, and I haven't explained to you know, my six-year-old son uh, that his favourite person, one of his favourite people in the world, died his uncle, and then the screeching which he let out absolutely crippled me, right? And I had no idea about suicide back then. 
You know, I had no idea. Even though I knew about mental health, I was speaking about it, I had a business going on talking about it. And suicide wasn't really on the agenda back then. You know, yeah. you know, people weren't really like it is now. And it got brought to the forefront for me when he took his life. But what got me was is I'd, I'd started looking at the same stats that you've just come out, out with. Mm. Uh, they are probably a little bit more grim even then. Uh, and I started looking at it and I was like, this is mad. As a rugby player at the time, we get our knackers checked, we get our hearts checked, we get, um, you know, everything. But no one ever tells you to check in with yourself. Yet the biggest threat to my life isn't a road traffic accident, it isn't knife crime, it isn't, uh, you know, uh, drugs or drink. That can play an element, but there is, that ain't it. I'm getting all these workshops, but no one's ever told me to check in with myself. Mm. So then I started thinking, wait a minute, if Andy had known this, and he'd known that the single biggest killer of, of men under 54 now is suicide. Wow. And actually, one of the biggest reasons is what you've just said, that men feel embarrassed to talk about it. You know, maybe if you just spoke about it, maybe it'd about giving hope, because if you speak about it and someone else says, oh, yeah, I've been through that too, not turning it on to them, but, you know, it does get better. It just gives that individual hope. So that's what Andy's Man Club is. So Andy's Man Club started off in a, in a little room up in Ovindon um, with nine men. Me and my mother-in-law went up there and I said to her, no one will probably come. Because <laughs> um, men don't talk, but if they do, you know, we'll do, you know, if they don't, sorry, we'll just keep turning up. And on that first night, nine men turned up. And the long story short goes, week after 15 men turned up. And then I started a campaign called It's Okay to Talk, which was designed to break down the free stigmas for men, which was burden, weakness, and embarrassment. To say no, whatever you're going through, you don't have to bottle it up. It is okay to talk. What most people don't know is, is when you start a worldwide phenomenal campaign like that, where everyone thinks, everyone then thinks. Uh, it's okay to talk but where do I talk mm. who do I talk to so then we had to create more groups with a five year goal we'd have 10 groups on his fifth birthday we had 50 groups and now just because of the sheer demand we have 155 groups with another wow. 10 to 15 launching very soon and I've just the reason why I'm laying these stats out is because I've just done a post about it on his man club today actually and it's gone from this one little organisation which was me and Elaine um, to now having seven trustees 21 or 25 staff should know that been going to CEO, but it's one over. Um, I thought it was 20, over 20. It's over 20 staff. Yeah, should I know exactly how many staff we have, but it's over 20 staff. 1,200 plus regular Monday night supporters, as in volunteers, facilitators, and then wow. 10,000 plus actual supporter volunteers on a, on a month-to-month basis who go out and do events for us, awareness. So big, big organisation now, um, but still not scratch the surface of where we need to be at. Um, you know, as I said, we I don't know if I just said this, we had 3,700 menus our groups last week and will tonight on this very night that we're speaking about. Um, you know, I've not been to a group for a while. Uh, my mm. kids have gymnastics on a Monday night now uh, and getting that family life right has been, been a paramount for me. But I'm going mm. down to our Houston groups. I'm working in London tomorrow, so I'm going to go down to our Houston group. So I'm excited to go down. And, and it's quite mad and it gives me actually goosebumps saying this and a nice butterflies in my stomach that... This was a group where I am right now in Halifax, and I'm going to jump on a train south to the big old big smoke of London, and I'm going to go attend a group in Houston, where there'll be 15 to 20 guys speaking. Weirdly, our guy who's our representative for London, I was actually up in office today, um, and I just said to him, "How many guys go there?" And he's like, "15 to 20." So you know, it does actually give me genuine butterflies yeah. to think I'm sat in London, middle of London, as a little. Uh, group from Halifax or what was a little group from Halifax with 15, 20 men like on that first or second night when we had 15 men um, and it's really nice to go tonight like um, as me mm. um, I'm not announcing I'm going because um, to some of these guys it might you know I'm hoping it's different than it's in a very um, non-beginning way like, it's a big deal to them I'm yeah. very normal you know I'm the guy who started that group so to go there tonight and, and try going and not be recognised um, it's going to be really nice just to sit in there as a bloke um, yeah. and I'm really hopeful of that and then after obviously I will explain but um, it's a phenomenal movement uh, very mm-hmm. tragic movement very tragic movement that there's so many guys struggling but those guys are struggling and finding solace because as I said earlier um, I run something separate it's called Mind Tribe about getting back to tribal because I'm really uh, in love with the all concepts of tribes and if you think what tribes did, are still doing some remote places, um, and I know we're all pushing equality, which is great, but men used to, in our primal days, after a hunt, sit around a fire 
grunting each other, right? If you go read about it, or you go look at <laughs> African tribes like the Asda, Asda tribe, not Asda, Asda. Um, they sit around at the end of a hunt. And the guys sit and the guys spend a lot of time together. It's just what guys do. And I feel like Andy's mantle burst because you, you're back in that sort of circle and all there's mm. fire there. You're sat in a circle and you're connecting to one another. And you will have black guys there, brown guys there, uh, white guys there, yellow guys there. We'll have uh, big guys there, small guys there, fat guys there, skinny guys there, grey guys there, you know, nowhere guys there. And it's beautiful because you've got guys who are multi... And I said it on his first ever video because there were a guy there with like a... I don't know if it's a title list, but I'm sure like a multi-operation director of a multinational company or something like that. And then we have a guy who's unemployed. We've been homeless for mm-hmm. t- 10 years and they just sit in a room together and they take their masks off and they just open up, they dump everything in the middle of this room to all these strangers and then mm. they leave and, and, and they leave feeling better than when they went in and mm. what does that what does that sound like hope yeah that's what it's built on it's built on the fundamentals of giving people hope and I think you know what Andy's man club does so amazingly is give people that space to be vulnerable because maybe yes. they haven't got an environment where they can feel like they can be vulnerable I think that is on us as leaders there's a lot of there's a lot of links between vulnerability and authentic leadership and and get back to that high performance piece but if you haven't got that environment or you haven't created that environment yeah actually I think having a space to be vulnerable whether you are a chief exec of a large company or whether you are as you say homeless and and don't know where your next meal is coming from if you've got that space where you can just talk and be heard without judgment I think that is one of the most important things as human beings that we need which goes back to your point of you know it is tribal it's very natural for people to talk to each other uh, and yet we've all forgotten really what to say because we talk so functionally now everybody talks about in in a way, what's next and what we're we doing, and nobody just stops in the moment. And I think that's something that you know, when you've spoken to us about Andy's Man Club previously, has always really resonated with me. That it allows people to just sit in that vulnerability and yes. process and be present. Yeah, you know, and I think the actual sometimes what people miss with Andy's Man Club is uh, you know the real importance, whether it be Andy's Man Club or as I said, my own group like last night. Um, well, we were on a Sunday night, is people listening. Mm. And when you're sat and you hear someone else speaking, you know, um, it gives you perspective. Oh, shit, actually, what I'm thinking about my problem, maybe thinking about it wrong. And actually, mm. maybe I can change some of the ways I'm feeling and thinking about that. And maybe I can change the way some of the ways I'm dealing with that. So talking is great, as I say, to get the space out there. But then you're not only sat in a group like that, you're not only sat in your vulnerability, you're sat in others. And that's mm-hmm. why I think it's important. You know, um, when you, you know, and we've done it before, like, and this is what I do for a living, I go around and speak. And sometimes I think, what's the true impact of that, of of someone coming in and doing a talk? Uh, and I question it myself because I always want to improve what I'm doing. And I think, and I had a lot of messages this week, and it's often the fact that by you telling them your story and you being vulnerable, so I go in there as a six foot three former rugby player, uh, you know, based like a bag of spanners, <laughs> you know, look back, look battered and bruised. Meant to say no, you're not. Luke. You Lucy meant to say no, you're not there. Sorry, no, you're not, Luke. Oh, thank you, Lucy. Thank you. <laughs> right, but you meant to, say, and I stand there on my feet on the floor and just bare my soul to them all, but then give them tip. They sit there and and it ain't about my story. It's mm-hmm. about their story. They reflect mm-hmm. on their poor choices. They reflect on what they're doing in their life right now. And then they can start to process some of that trauma or those issues and then start to formulate and navigate a plan to be able to get away from that pain. Um, and I think sometimes that's some of the conversations we don't have, like, okay, I'm, I'm experiencing this and it's okay to experience this because that's a normal emotion that's brewing. But mm-hmm. what I do with that emotion and how I respond, you know, getting anger is a normal response. Punching a wall's not a good response. You know, no. getting angry is a, getting angry is emotion or getting stressed emotion. Going out and getting uh, very drunk and drink driving is not a natural response and an excuse to do that because you're stressed. So we can get to some of the roots and learn that those emotions are okay, but how can we deal with them? And usually by talking about them um, and mm. processing them, we can start to offload some of the tension and the pressure 
And then by listening to others, that just then adds to that, like because mm -hmm. you you offload by listening as well as talking. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. I think the listening is so important for perspective because sometimes you are so in your head about your challenge or your situation, and actually by not saying anything at all and just listening to somebody else and their challenges and what they're facing can be a massive moment for you as an individual to go, do you know what? I'm going to look at this completely differently because that perspective has given me time to reflect and pause and process that in a different way. 100%. And, and, and one I'll, I'll just get you to think about, as leaders, usually, fixers, and I'm often falling in that category. And mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. And I'll give you some real life examples in a second. But sometimes people don't necessarily want you to fix it. They already know they just want to offload. And that's okay sometimes. Um, as doing what I do, though, like, that, that's who I am. That's how I care. Mm -hmm. um, I had two staff members who were struggling. They had a car breakdown. They, you know, they were struggling. And other people were just like, how are you feeling? You're okay. And I, and I realized, I identified there were enough people asking them how they're feeling about. Sorry, it wasn't just that the car had broke down. You know, they had other stuff going on as well. The car was adding to the fact that the remote workers and now they can't go around and visit people like they're meant to be. And it was adding another stress level. Um, they mm. couldn't afford to pay for it. And the list went on of these two people that they just couldn't have this situation, right? And then we had another third member of staff who um, he just had a bigger area than he should have. You know, he had like 30 odd groups who were running. It was just getting a little bit overwhelming for him. Mm. Uh, so, you know, people say, you know, talk to me about it because we've got that openness culture. But, but I realised that sometimes there's certain situations that need fixing. So mm. both two guys, I know that we have a policy where there's a little bit of a bonus after working here a year. So I managed to move that forward a few months, a uh, couple of months, uh, as in the pay of it. So they could go and get the car fixed or a new car. We did that. that. That was the solution for them. The other guy, we took on another member of staff. So we got put resource in place to take that pressure off. And now... He's thriving and that area is mm. thriving. And sometimes I think it's, as a leader, looking at, okay, do you know what? I might not be able to fix the issue, but I might be able to find a solution to help with that. So, you know, if someone, if you're constantly getting told that, you know, we're, we're all, we're under resource, we're under resource, we're under resource. Sometimes you maybe got to listen. And I think as a business, sometimes, and as you'll know from the area you're coming from, it's about um, not burning people out and getting the longer-term effects of the organisation. And sometimes I think that's really important and just, just constantly reviewing viewing that. I think sometimes your people, when they're telling you, and I've been subject to that at times, like, surely surely we're not, we don't need that extra admin staff or we don't need that extra project development champion. But I think sometimes we do maybe expect people to better work how we work, and that's mm. not always the case. You know, people mm. always have that capability to do that. Um you know, we're all able. We're all we're all unique in his own ways, aren't we? To be, uh, you know, that's why some people are CEOs and some people aren't. Like, mm. and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, some people won't want that responsibility, but at the same time, it's not everyone can function at your level. Um, yeah. And and I think sometimes being able to just help resource wise at times. I'm not on about giving everyone pay rises or overstaffing. Just 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 constantly being aware of where everyone's at. Because if you actually were looking at most people's probably biggest challenge in work is at times that struggle to switch off or do too much. And it's just maybe setting even boundaries in place. And we do that, that no one should really have the work phone on out of hours. You mm. know, we're really disciplined in, you know, don't be responding to emails out of hours. Mm. Um, I say that and then I put messages in our staff chat at like 10 at night, <laughs> five, 5 in the morning. But that's, but, I told not to respond to them. It's just well, it's in my brain. Yeah. So, so I think I think it is a really important point though, because as leaders, sometimes we need to we need to know when to just listen or when yes. to listen and then act. And I yes. think that is can be quite difficult because, 100%. like you, I am also I love a solution. I love yep. fixing problems. I love running towards things. Actually, I think you know you're right, and we all have to take pause on that as leaders. Which is sometimes we don't need to do anything; we just need to create a space for them to be present, reflect themselves, and self-solutionize. Like we don't have to fix everybody's problems, but wouldn't it be great if actually we create an environment where we, we have we have an opportunity for people to do that for themselves? Yeah, and remember, you don't have to be everything to everyone. It's why you have an organisation, right? There'll be certain people in your organisation now, what we've got, where there's like 
you know, not actually people and mums, but, you know, there's certain people in our organisation, people will feel extremely comfortable going to, and it's allowing that that's okay for them to go and mm. identify who's their people, you know, whether that be your mental health first aiders or, you know, some organisations. I know we've spoke about looking at stuff over the years, but creating, like, instead of mental health first aid is necessarily, but, like, peer support listeners at work, people who are mm. comfortable to, and but then being okay that the at times people are going to need to go have a chat not just putting it in for putting it in sake and then wondering why they're not working or why are they off having a coffee mm. you know it's been, been cool and then knowing that once they've had those conversations they might need to come to you then for that solution so you know make sure you're getting your five things right so you've got the energy to deal with mm. all problems in your organization not just a big firefighting mm. ones yeah very much put your own oxygen mask on before you are helping other people isn't it in this in this situation 100% and never take it off yeah good point we're always like oh let's put it on when we're struggling no let's let's keep it on all time obviously not an oxygen mask but let's just keep on it yeah. all the time and yeah. I said it to a lady last night on a call I said like she's like sometimes you just got to be ready to make a change I said so I did a cold water dip yesterday right with, with a group of people and I tell them all the cold water dip isn't necessarily what everyone's promoting it to be everyone's promoting it about dopamine promoting it about this but actually when you get in a cold water or, or anything of of extremities, it creates panic, right? And the mm. first thing that goes when you panic is what? You know, your breath. Yeah. Your breath. Okay. When yeah. your breath's gone, that then creates the flow of your mind, right? And what I teach people is, is and this will sound really familiar now, Lucy, is get your breath right before you start anything. So whether it's mm. a couple deep breaths, couple long low breath uh, you know in moments of panic it's long slow breaths with moments of stress it's trying to get a lot of oxygen so you know as i said earlier it's like two deep inhales a long slow outhale just to get some oxygen on board oxygenize yourself when you're panicking try and get control of the breath so the reason why i was teaching them is, is the more you can control yourself in situations that you're intentionally putting yourself into when we have unintentional situations occur as mind's auto response isn't to panic breathe and think ah it's to go Okay, that's yeah. what I can do. And yeah. that's that's what I'm trying to show people that some of this stuff's really simple. Get your breath right, get your mind right. You know, mm. everything comes from that breath and that and that ability for your mind to make all response decisions. It does. It's mm. it's like AI in it. You ask it a question, it gives you an automatic response. Your mind's like that. You know, mm. your partner says something to you a thousand times, you probably respond a thousand times the same way. Until mm. you say, okay, actually, I'm going to try something different here, and you can mm. create a different trigger, don't you? Do you understand where we're going with that? Yeah, yeah. Just try to manage, manage simple that. but not easy I think is the uh, the theme from from today um, yes. so Andy's Man Club amazing movement you should be very proud I think as uh, somebody who is from Halifax and has kind of seen the movement from its very early days very proud to see the kind of national impact that you're having considering you started with the whole you know, just one man thing to to have yep. three over three thousand seven hundred people coming to you know talk is is amazing. Clearly, you're not you're not done yet, and there's lots more people that I'm sure can can come and talk. But if somebody wanted to find an Andy's Man Club or did want to come and participate, where would they find it? How do they how do they get to it? How do they access it? So it's on all social medias, Andy's Man Club UK. But then. Um, if you are someone, and I don't promote it enough, so we have 155 plus, and I say plus because it's 156, and I think starting this week to be 158 next week. So, mm-hmm. But we also have an amazing online group for if you are in office and you can't get to one or you're not in an area where we've got one yet, we have an amazing online space. Um, so people can log in. You just email info at andysmanclub.co.uk for that. But we also have just added something great to our website where you can just type in your postcode and it brings up every nearest group within a five mile, 10 mile radius. And mm-hmm. also should have the online uh, info on there as well. It gives you a postcode, what free words. And the beauty of Eddie's Man Club is you don't have to be a, a one out of 10 to be able to attend. You don't have to be mm-hmm. prescribed to come. You don't have to be referred to come. Just turn up, uh, be mm-hmm. open-minded. Uh, it might not be for you straight away. Give it three times, we always say. You know, mm-hmm. go along. And even if you just find that by going there and having a free brew is you know, enough for you, Go to a free brew and a biscuit, listen to some other people's problems. Um, mm. you know, but the beauty of Addis Man Club is, is and I need to emphasize this, um, uh, like tonight's questions, right? Um, we always have the first three questions. How's your week been? 
any it's one standout positive for me all to get off your chest. Last two questions are all all really positive, and they vary from more personal development style to what's your goal next week to mm-hmm. some still in the two and we like to keep them they, they change every week. So this week's questions are what are two positive attributes people would say about you and why. Mm-hmm. And the last one is is who your first celebrity crush. So mm-hmm. it's just stuff to make people oh yes man. And someone put one we do it as a staff group every morning. Monday morning, yeah. I I post in the group, I post in the questions that have been set into the staff, and then all staff respond in our Google chats. Uh, mine was Jessica Alba. Um, she's always been, Good. yeah, Thanks. always been. Thanks. Someone put on a oh, Sky from Gladiator. I think it was Sky. And I was like, shit, course. How good was? Uh, yeah, it was <laughs> so it was just, you know, that was like pre Jessica Alba times. Yes, pre and it's just, and it's just funny when you hear different people of different ages bringing up people that they had. You know, or you know, and it's just it's just people leave with a smile on the face, and that's the idea of it. Yeah. So online social media platforms, they run every Monday night. Seven o'clock, uh, seven till nine, excluding bank holidays. Okay. And what about uh the ladies or people that can't get to an uh an Andy's man club? What what other um spaces would you recommend you from this you're a lot in this world so where else is there this, do you know what this there's resources everywhere right go on mind website type it in on google and you know maybe a bit of a distance when i first started in his man club i didn't even look what we're about there was actually mm-hmm. a, a men's peer support group they just won't bang in the drum like we do um mm-hmm. when i started i went to chat room but there's women's well-being groups i think they run online that's actually uh, founded by uh, two guys who um, attended and ran AMCs, and now it's it's actually chaired by one of our staff. So it's not necessarily connected, but it, I know that it all run the exact same as AMC because I think that's what they did. They just realised it worked, so they just copied it and gave it to women. So um, there's all sorts of stuff that that spined off AMC, spined mm-hmm. off. Doesn't make sense. Spinned off. You know, it's first ladies club in all, which is a nice name, right? So yeah. they were like doing it as the first ladies. And what? So what's the ladies club called? Women's Wellbeing one. Uh, but if you okay. type in, um, and, and I'm not being, uh, but if you Google like you know peer support for women, peer support for men, usually there's you're specific as well. Peer support mm. for menopause, peer support for alcohol. Like there's so many groups. And then the beauty now since COVID is a lot of these run online. So you know mm. you're sitting there, comfort your own home, and listen to these 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 stuff. You can. Mm. And my last question before we finish, uh, what has been super inspirational and slightly testing at times due to our technology um what can we do to help what can the community that listen to be on the podcast how how can we help further andy's man club what things can we do to support so we're quite a unique organization in the charity that we're 100 unrestricted funds right and we never ask for money. And I'm laying that out now because I'm not going to ask anyone to donate anything because it's just not what we do. Um, and I think that's down to why we are so successful because we've never even gone on our website. The new web developers want to create a donate page. I said, no, call it an awareness page because awareness is key. And it's a mm. really mad way to run an organisation, right, to always say to people, don't donate. But we just want to create awareness. We want to bang down uh, doors. We want to create venues. So you might be in this place where we don't have a group and you might have a great little room uh, that we can access on a Monday night. Drop that into Info and his Man Club. If you want to run an event at your work, if you did want to do a fundraiser, you want to run an event, a coffee morning, again, reach out to the team and we've got a team who will help you do something. There's all sorts coming up. We've got uh, some uh, running events happening next year. You know, there might be... Uh, sponsorship opportunities for people have you branding on and connected with ours and stuff that we just don't do that we're starting to look at like you know we've got big running events uh one that no one knows about we're going to find out in three days is we might have just uh won a ballot for the great north run so wow. uh, we might have 300 places for that so what we're thinking of doing is is partnering up with uh, with businesses and letting them have like two for people who want to run from their organization and then we're going to make you know we just what we want to do is continue to create this unbelievable community you might have mm. just seen that um and uh, national, oh, I don't know, get wrong, Trans Pennine Express. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just fully done a train out in AMC branding. I uh, saw that on uh, yeah. on LinkedIn. Yeah, and just so, so we never ask people for this stuff; they just do it. And you know what? It's just they don't realise the impact. We're getting tagged every day now. Oh my god, you're seeing this train. Um, the amount of times I've been to a group when a guy has just seen a leaflet 
in his workplace. Wow. Just seeing a poster up in the local bathroom at his sports centre. So mm. when you're saying what can we do, there's a load of stuff you can do as uh, as organisation. Email them, find his mangled at good UK and just ask for a, a, an awareness pack. They'll send you yeah. leaflets, wristbands, put them in your uh, reception, your workplace. Might not even be someone who works at your place. It might be one of your clients who comes in for a yeah. meeting, like, oh, what's this about? And they might not even take out, they might just Google it there and they might have needed that or their some might have needed it or their brother. That is called what I like to call the butterfly effect uh, based mm-hmm. on the chaos theory that one small little action can have wide effects elsewhere. Yeah. Well, what an amazing note to end on. And, and I hope for. Whoever needs it, this has been the butterfly effect that they needed as well. Um, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Um, I hope this helps some people when they listen. I hope it reminds us all of the importance of doing this for ourselves before we do it for other people. The importance of vulnerability and authentic leadership, fair of unconditional love and good habits. So thank you so much, Luke. No, thank you. Um, been a pleasure as always. If you'd like to listen to more insightful stories from the North Edge Network, you can search and subscribe to Beyond the Capital on any of your usual podcast platforms.